for the good news this morning that you are our shepherd. Lord, I can just think of nothing better. Lord, I thank you that you are not one that is far off, but Lord, you are among your sheep. And Lord, as we, Lord, I just, Lord, this morning, just every song that we've sung, I just feel like everyone has just been a prayer that is specifically from your Holy Spirit this morning, Lord, um, from you making a way when we don't understand that there's no way, Lord, to your sovereignty over us in the midst of trials, in the midst of difficulty, Lord Jesus, no matter what it is, you, you do not forget us, Lord, you do not forget us, um, and your sovereignty is always at work. And Father, I just pray this morning that just in all of your, your grandiosity, just how big you are, Lord, your eternality, I pray, Lord, that um, you would come near, Lord, as we just sang, because not only are you big, not only are you as big as eternity in every direction forever, you fill up all of the universe, and then some, there's nowhere we can flee from your presence, but God, you are also our shepherd, and Lord, we need all of your bigness to come near and to lead us and to guide us this morning in the season that we're in. Father, I thank you that we don't need to just think harder or try harder, but Lord, all we need to do is keep our eyes on you. So Father, please, please help us today. Please help us. It sounds so simple, Lord, but because of our hearts that are always deceived and we like sheep, Lord, we go astray. Father, we need you to help your sheep this morning to keep our eyes on you just to take the next step. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for being here with us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Hey, come on, Alan. It's about time. I was wondering.
No, thanks, Alan. I tell you what, that, you know, that was a pretty good introduction to my sermon, actually, uh, because what we started last week, for those of you that were here last week, we started um, doing just a survey of what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 8. And so if you got your Bibles, please grab them and go there. Um, I was a little bit, uh, I bit off more than I could chew last week, and so I just kind of uh, I believe at the leading of the Spirit stopped at the, at the end of verse uh, 16 because I, uh, I didn't want to keep you here till 2 o'clock. And, but we're just going to pick back up in Romans chapter 8 where we were last week. And again, I'm not going through Romans chapter 8 kind of uh, verse by verse or phrase by phrase and trying to like think through the thoughts of the author and the people that he's writing to. And I believe that's how we're supposed to read the Bible and um, or primarily uh, week in and week out. And that's usually what we do. But I was just kind of doing a survey just where we just kind of look at what the Bible says about one specific thing over a specific portion. And that specific portion, again, is Romans chapter 8, where 19 times in the first 27 verses you have Paul mentioning uh, the Spirit of God. And, and what jumps out about that, if you would have been reading the whole book, is that he's not mentioned the Spirit of God much up until this point. In the first seven chapters, I believe it's only one or two times that he mentions the Spirit. And so just to review a little bit quickly is that last week, uh, essentially what we talked about is that the Holy Spirit, the, the, the big heading under which everything else falls is that he, can't, he comes to give us life. He comes to give us life. That's, that's, that's what he does. And, and we talked a lot about, and that's why it was great what you shared, Alan, just about hearing the Holy Spirit's voice because this is what he wants to do. This is, this is how we have new life is that, you know, Jesus said he would not, was not going to leave us as orphans, but that he was going to send the Holy Spirit to be not just around us as Jesus was, but to be in us. And that's why Jesus said, you know, in, in John, that it was better for us if he would go so that the Spirit would come and be with us and he would not leave us as orphans. And so, you know, we talked about last week how the Spirit comes and He wants to give life. He's called the Spirit of life in verse 2, and then He walks with us, and we experience this life or, that He gives moment by moment or step by step, as it says in verse 4, as we, as we walk in the Spirit. Um, and then we ended last week around verse 15 and 16, where the Spirit is in us, and one of the evidences uh, of the fact that we are His children, that we can know His voice, it's part of our inheritance, it's part of our, our birthright as his children, is that the Spirit himself is within us, and the Spirit cries out, Abba, Dad, Father, hear me. If you have that cry within you, it's evidence that you are saved, that you are his child, because that's the Spirit within you crying out to be with your Father. And, and so again today, it's still under the heading of the Spirit gives life, but now we're going to be down around verses 23 through 27. And I just want to, again, jump in and, and begin to talk about what it says about the Spirit. And yes, the Spirit gives life, um, but I think there's primarily one big idea left here in these couple of verses about the Spirit, and that is the Spirit gives us life by allowing us to taste of the life that is to come. The Spirit gives us life by allowing us to taste of the life that is to come. Here's what I mean. Verse 23, look at it with me. Romans chapter 8, verse 23. And he says, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Everybody say first fruits. First fruits, okay? If you're not a farmer, uh, and even if you are a farmer, but not a farmer in, uh, in Israel, then you might not know what first fruits is. But first fruits is a pretty big deal. It's 
uh, an image that comes up over and over again in the scriptures. It's something that was implemented back in Leviticus chapter 23. After God had brought the nation of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land, he established these feasts, these rhythms. Um, and again, it's, it's an, I don't, can't spend a lot of time on this, but it's just so cool that we serve a God that wants us to party, folks. Did you know that? We serve, us a, God, we serve a God that wants us to feast together, like we're going to do this week, okay? Um, uh, sure, there's a lot that could be said about gluttony, but hey, fill your bellies this Thursday, okay, on Thanksgiving to the, to the glory of God, okay? Have, have fun doing it. Uh, God wants his children to celebrate, and so there were all these feasts that were implemented, and one of the feasts that was implemented was the Feast of first fruits, and the harvest um, in that time and in that place uh, kind of came in two phases, and you had this initial harvest. It's kind of like, you know, out of all the corn that's planted, you had some that, that was ripe more quickly. And so you would go out and you would get that harvest. And that harvest, um, it was both like the beginning of the harvest, but it was also the pledge that the fullness of the harvest was going to come. And so what God had them do is he said, I want you to go out and I want you to get that first corn or that first wheat or whatever it is. I want you to go get it. And yes, it's there. And yes, it's for you. And you can have a portion of it. But I want you to take that and I want you to give it back to me. I want you to take of the first of what I give you and I want you to give it back to me as an act of faith showing that the rest of the harvest is going to follow. Does that make sense? And so the first fruits, it was the beginning of the harvest, it was the initial taste, but it was also the promise that there was more to come. Does that make sense? So even if you're not following me, let me just give you a different illustration. It's kind of like the appetizer when you go out to eat, okay? Does that make more sense? Maybe? Does anybody you know appetizer? Yeah? Carabas, baby. I'm just telling you, so I've talked about Carabas before. Carabas is Hannah and I's favorite restaurant. Uh, I don't know if it's my favorite restaurant, but they have my favorite meal, and that is the filet marsala, Okay? Just a little FYI, you're like, this is good practical advice here. Go to Carabas. It's not a steakhouse, but they have got the best steak you will ever find, okay? You get the filet mignon, you get this marsala sauce, it's this mushroom sauce. And you're like, does this have anything to do with your sermon? No, I'm just trying to give you helpful advice right now. But, um, but here's the deal. Is that Carabas? You go, and, I'm, and like, that's the only thing I ever get. And you're like, is the rest of the stuff on the menu good? Yeah, my wife gets, I think, the chicken brine or something whenever she goes, but it's not as good as the filet. Anyway, but when you go to Carabas... Like, I'm there, I'm there for the filet, okay, with the marsala sauce on top. Medium rare, by the way, if you got to know, because they'll ask you. But they, at first, the first thing they do is, and I love restaurants like this. I don't go to ones, well, I don't go to ones often that don't, but they bring you the bread, right? They bring you the bread, yeah. And here's the deal is that they don't bring you the bread unless, you know, they know that you're committed to eating the meal, but the bread is kind of like the first fruits. The bread is, I mean, the bread is good. The bread, the bread is awesome. I love the Carabas bread, and they bring out this little oil, and they got these spices. They sprinkle in it, and then you dip it in. Anybody eat a Carabas? Am I the only one? Yeah, okay, okay, yeah, we're Carabas people. Praise God. That makes me, that's good. It's just a good thing. Um, but, you know, they, they bring out the bread first, and the bread is like the first fruits. The bread is the promise. The appetizer is the promise that there's, that there's more to come. And guys, right now, here's what I want to say this morning, is that right now, in this time, like in this season, this epoch in which we live, like in the midst of all of world and universal history that God has created, we're living between the bread and the filet. That's where we're at. We've, we've, we've had the bread, and man, it's good. It is so good. Love it. But there's more to come. There's more to come. 
And so because of this, what we're going to see this morning in, in these few verses is that there's, there's this tension that exists inside of us because we're there and we've, we've, we've had this taste and, and we're hungry and man, it's good and we're celebrating and the order's in and we know that it's coming and we're enjoying the bread and we're enjoying good conversation, but we don't have the filet yet. We don't have the fullness of why we came, you know? And, and what he's saying here in this text is that, that God, in, in his goodness to us, our salvation, guys, we, we have to understand this because if we don't understand this, life just doesn't make sense. And I see this all the time because Christians get discouraged and they get frustrated. And, you know, even last week, like, Eric, you're telling me that there's new life and that all those who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God and that we can hear the voice of God and he's going to lead us and he's going to guide us. And yeah, he's our father. And, you know, we, we cry out to him, Abba, Father, Daddy, hear us. And, you know, all these things. And yeah, he gives new life. But Eric, I got a lot of frustrations in my life. I got a lot of things that hurt, man, and they hurt for real. <laughs> Not just a little bit, but they're painful. And again, it's because we live in this time where we're between the first fruits and the final harvest. Um, and these first fruits that God has given us, it is of his Holy Spirit, and it's in us. And we've tasted that there's more to come, but because it's in us and because we know that there's more to come, man, it, it creates this, I, I think the best word I could probably use is just an angst, angst, where it's, you, yeah, it's good, but I want, I want more, I want more. And what I want to tell you this morning is that that's right and that's good, and if you've experienced that, if you've, if you've tasted of the Holy Spirit, if you've, if you've experienced of his goodness, if you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, but you still struggle with sin, and you still struggle with, with, um, with pain and with doubt sometimes, it's because, guys, our salvation, it, it is something that happens in an instant. It's justification. You've heard me say this so many times. The gavel comes down. Boom, not guilty. But it's also a process. It's something that he's working out in us. The, the Bible word that is kind of used over and over again uh, to describe this is sanctification. That justification is an event that occurs at a moment in time when you place your faith and trust in Jesus. You're declared not guilty. His blood covers you, washes away your sins. But sanctification is not an instantaneous thing, it's a process. And God has set it up like this for a reason. And, and so it's just this that I just want to kind of look at this morning. And I hope, my hope is that as we experience, as you experience, yes, the goodness of the Holy Spirit, but also this longing for something more. I want you to know that that's okay. That's actually a good thing, it's normal. And it proves that you belong to him, if that makes sense. So let's just get into the text here, and I'll try to unpack it, again, just kind of phrase by phrase. Uh, verse 23, again, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, this promise that there's more to come. What does it cause within us? It causes us to groan. <laughs> Did you know this? The Holy Spirit it, it, in us, it causes us to groan inwardly. Now look at the tension. 
as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons. Now, he's already said back in verse 15 that uh, we have not received the spirit of slavery that fall back into fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption as sons, that we've received the spirit of adoption. Again, it's the same thing over and over, living in this, in this tension. But now we're waiting for the fullness of our adoption, which is when Jesus comes back and consummates all things. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, and here's what it creates in us. Here's what the Spirit creates in us. Here's what the life of the Spirit looks like. Is it looks like hope. It looks like hope. Because I want to tell you this morning that hope in God is not just a superficial, chipper happiness. You know? Um, does anybody ever get annoyed by the superficial by the chipper superficial, the chipper superficiality of Christianity sometimes, yeah? How you doing? Oh, praise God, brother, praise God, I'm good, I'm good. God is so good, I'm blessed, I'm blessed all the time. And listen, hear me, hear me, I'm being a little sarcastic here, so give me a little grace, okay? If that's you this morning, seriously, praise the Lord. But many times in church land, we learn to just say these words over and over and over again, when in reality, inwardly, even though we may tell people that, oh, it, it's good, we're blessed, we're blessed, inwardly, we're groaning. Inwardly, we're hurting. In fact, the groaning here, uh, and ladies, this is not my illustration, this is Paul's illustration, okay? <laughs> the groaning here, refer, he, he compares it to childbirth. Okay, if you'll just go back, there's actually three entities that are groaning. Creation is groaning, we are groaning, and we'll get to this eventually down in verse 26. The Spirit is groaning. Creation is groaning, we are groaning, and the Spirit is groaning. Go back with me for a little bit to verse 18. Let me just read this quickly. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. It says, In hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that, listen, the whole creation, not just us, the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. I don't know if you guys have ever been around for a woman giving birth before, but I'm not playing games. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? If my wife was here, she might want to smack me right now. But, um, but you know what I'm saying? Like, like it, the pain is, is real, and it's, and it's heavy. And guys, you have got to have a grid. Here's why all this matters, okay? You, you have to have a grid for this in your Christian life. You have to have a grid for this. And you have to have a grid that even if you're doing well today, and I hope that you are, that other people might be in a season where they're groaning. Where they're in a season where things are difficult, difficult. And it might not really do them any good to just come with your chipper superficiality Christianity to them. But what they might need is for you to say, I've been there. And you know what? I'm not there right now, but brother, sister, I'll groan with you. And it's going to be okay. Because God's at work and he's doing something. See, that's why this groaning is taking place. 
Why does the woman groan as she's giving birth? Because she had something, she had new life inside of her that was wanting to come out, that had to come out. And there's joy on the other side of it, but you had to go through that birthing process. And so the Spirit gives us life, and we experience this life, but we get it because we're tasting of the life that is to come. And so we groan inwardly, and again, it creates this this hope. Get back into verse 24. He says, for in this hope we were saved. He's going to say hope a whole bunch here. (laughs) For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he already sees, but if we hope, we do what, but if we hope, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. I want you to highlight or circle in verse 23 the word eagerly and then the word patience in verse 25. And in between there, in verse 24, you've got hope mentioned four times um, or five times in uh, one and a half verses. Is that what this groaning looks like? Because again, Paul is not just waxing eloquent here about these deep theological truths uh, for no practical purpose. But he wants us to understand that this is kind of what our life looks like, is that because we're in between the appetizer and the final, and the final course, is that here in between, there's this tension. And again, he, eagerly, we eagerly wait for it. It's the idea of expectancy. It's, it's, it's the, the word for eagerly here, it's, it's the idea of, of parents that all of our kids are going to you know, be like as we lead up to Christmas. You know, you put the presents out under the tree and, you know, just to tease them a little bit. I mean, it's no fun just to put them out on Christmas morning. You got to put them underneath a couple days before so that they're tortured. Um, at least that's the way I roll. Um, but, uh, you know, so that they're seeing that, and it creates this longing, this expectation inside of them. Yet at the same time, they have to exercise patience. And here's the thing that I, kind of the picture that I believe Paul was painting for us is that when we live in this tension, of both expecting things. Guys, listen to me for a second. We, guys, we should expect God to move. Amen? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is nothing that he cannot do. Okay? We, we need to have an expectation in our hearts. I hope that you have an expectation in your heart. For those of you that call Mercy Hill home, that when you come here on Sunday morning, that you're not you know, just showing up out of a vacuum, but that you, you've been seeking God during the week. That you've been asking, hey, Lord, when we come together, when we come together to celebrate, to feast on your word, that God, that you would do here and that you would do something special among us, that there would be some sort of expectation in your heart for God to do what only he can do. Yet at the same time, we live with patience. We have to wait for it, it says in verse 25. And it's kind of like this, is that, Taylor, I won't, I won't mess with your guitar here, buddy, but no, I really won't because I don't want it to be out of tune when we, but, but like it's, these, these strings here, the reason that it makes a note you know, the reason that it can sound good is because there's just the right tension on these things. There's just the right tension. And the tension, you know, between these two spots that we live in is that we have this expectation that is to mark our lives, that we believe that Jesus can do anything, and at the same time, we have this tension on the other hand is that we're willing to wait, that we don't run ahead, that we don't get frustrated, that we don't, that we don't give up. And I find that so many Christians, and myself, so, so, so often, 
my life has not really sounded beautiful <laughs> as you've strummed it because that tension hasn't been there. I've either been really expectant that God would do something, but yet maybe it wasn't his timing, and then it doesn't happen, and then all of a sudden these expectations crash and I become disappointed, or I fall into the ditch on the other side where I'm just constantly waiting and I never expect God to do anything. Does that make sense? You ever been there? But guys, when we, when we live and when we, we understand the reality of what Paul's talking about here, of what's to mark our Christian lives, is that, is that we have this tension on both sides, that we're both eager, we're expectant, and yet we're also waiting. And kind of the, the song that our life is to play as we're living in that beautiful tension is hope. It's hope. That there should be hope in our hearts. That God can do anything. Yeah, maybe it's not here yet, but that's okay. We're going to keep waiting. We're going to keep trusting. We're going to keep going forward. And again, he explains this beautifully in verse 24. For in this hope, we are saved. Hope that is seen is not hope. That would mean that it'd be here. Who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, I love that little phrase. Have you ever thought about that? What do you ultimately hope for? You hope for something that you've never seen. Well, how do you know it's real? How do you know it's true? Because of the Spirit that lives inside of us, that bears witness that it is true. Um, guys, the Holy Spirit inside of us longs to bring about the will of God. Okay? And we have this hope, but now, and Paul's going to roll here into something very practical in regards to our praying and getting our life uh, kind of in line with what God ultimately wants to do. In the end, we can do nothing for God, but God does stuff through us and in us. Uh, Ephesians 2.10, that it is he who has uh, prepared good works in advance that we should just simply walk in them. Okay? So it's not a matter of being creative or just making things up. It's just simply a matter of aligning ourselves with Jesus and going where he's going as we walk in those works. But So he's talking about this hope. There's this tension but he, I really, he's really going to make this practical here, and I think we miss the practicality of this many times. In verse 26, he says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought. I love that. Have any of you guys ever went to pray? And you're like, I don't really know what to pray. Anybody? Yeah. <laughs> so he said, like, look at that. We do not know what to pray for as we ought. Especially when we're living in this tension of the already and the not yet between the appetizer and the meal. I mean, what do you, what do, you do? And if I can really just, I, I know her well enough where I can say this, okay? But like Tracy right now, going through cancer, Lord healer or build her character? Lord deliver her or give her endurance? Which, which, which one? I don't know how to pray as I ought. 
I think if you ask Tracy, and she, she doesn't know how to pray as she ought, <laughs> but the Spirit knows. The Spirit knows. And the Spirit has been groaning. And the Spirit has been crying out in a lot of us. And again, Tracy, I thank you that I could use that. And the Spirit has been crying out in her, but also in us. God, we don't, what do you, what do you want to do here? What does this look like? And, and guys, the, the promise here is just so precious. If you've ever been through difficulty, if you've ever been through suffering, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what to pray for as we ought, but here it is now, the Spirit himself intercedes. And this word for intercedes, I don't want to get all nerdy on you here and lose you, but just like real quick, there's a word for intercession, and I'm not, you know, sometimes I try to pronounce the Greek words. This one I can't even touch. Like I even played the little thing. It's like, how do you pronounce this word? And it played it for me. I was like, I'm not even going to try to pronounce that. But anyway, it's a, it's a weird word, okay? It's hard to say. But there's this word for intercession, and that's what this is in the Greek. But then, and that's the word that's used, you know, in some other places, even later on in this chapter, chapter like in, in the next verse, in verse 27, where it says, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. But here, this word for intercedes, same English word, but it's the word for intercedes, that's the Greek word, that's really hard to say, with an extra prefix on the, on the front of it. And it's the prefix hyper. And so, you know, um, when you put the word hyper in front of something, you take that thing and you just magnify it with like more intensity, right? Are you following me? And so what my, my point is here is that, yeah, there's this word for intercede or for intercession that's happening. But what he's saying here is that the Spirit doesn't just intercede, the Spirit hyper-intercedes. And there's groanings and there's longings inside of us. It's, it, the, my point is just simply that it's an intense word. But I want you to notice here in verse 26 that, I guess, the creation has been groaning, we've been groaning, but here in verse 26, who's the one groaning with a special intensity? The Spirit. The Spirit, guys, wants to do something in you that is absolutely amazing. The Spirit wants to do something in you even more than you want Him to do something in you. And this is a precious, precious, precious gift. And specifically, what the Spirit wants is to bring about the will of God in your life. Hang with me. But the Spirit Himself hyper-intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Language won't even work. Language falls short. Tracy and her situation, I can't tell you how many times. I'm like, Lord, I don't, have, I, don't, I don't have it. I don't have the words. Verse 27, but he who searches hearts, that's God, knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, are you following what Paul's laying down here? because this is awesome, is that if you are saved, it is the birthright of every single child of God. In fact, it's what makes you a child of God, is that the Spirit of God comes and He lives inside of you, that cries out, Abba, Father. 
We run into all sorts of difficulties, all sorts of trials, all sorts of tribulations, and we don't know what to do. As he just said there in verse 26, we don't know how to pray as we ought. God says, that's okay because my spirit's within you. And the Spirit says, that's okay, because I know what God wants, even though you don't know what God wants. And the Spirit cries out inside of us, sometimes with groanings that are too deep for words. Sometimes there's just sighs that come out. Sometimes it's when you roll around in your bed at night because you're burdened for something and you don't even know what to say or how to pray. But God, in his sovereignty, his absolute sovereignty, is working all things together for good. And the way that he's practically working it out is, again, guys, sometimes we think about God's sovereignty in terms of like God is just, he's marked, he's the Alpha and the Omega, he's marked out the end from the beginning, and so he's got this, and so he just sits up there just completely ambivalent, just like, eh, whatever. Yeah, I mean, I got this marked out, and those guys, you know, they're having a hard time, but you know, it's going to work out in the end, so don't. No, that's not what he's saying, that God himself through the Holy Spirit, he's right with you in the midst of it. And he's working this out by even wanting to cry out of you back to him that your life would practically get aligned with his will for you. And here's why that's such good news. It's because I'm telling you, and, and if, again, I haven't said it yet, but if you've attended Mercy Hill for any amount of time, we are big here on the sovereignty of God. Because in the end, the sovereign, almighty God of the universe is working all things together according to his will. What I mean by that is it's simply this. Nothing is going to stop him. Nothing. And if his spirit is in you crying out with, with groanings that words cannot express because you belong to him, he is going to align you with his will so that his kingdom will come and his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven, not just in some generic way, but in your life, in your circumstance. This is really good news. Are you with me? This is awesome that we do not serve a sovereign God who just sits back and is like, yeah, man, don't worry about it. You know, we'll figure it out in the end. He's right there with you. He's right there with you. Some of you need to hear that this morning, that he's right there with you. Guys, he knows your thoughts before you think them. He knows you're rising up, you're coming in. You're sitting up and you're standing down, Psalm 139. He knows it, and he's right there, and he cares. And not just in the midst of difficulty, but guys, he wants to do stuff that is, again, my, one of my favorite verses, Ephesians chapter 3, at the end of the chapter. He wants to do things that are exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. You know, Taylor, it was, uh, that spoke to me this morning, you know, when we were first starting to sing, and you mentioned... Um, just your friend that was in the foster care system or whatever, because I, I was thinking about that this past week as I was, you know, just meditating upon this passage. Because many times, um, and, you, and you guys know, you know, we have one that we've adopted here in the last year. Um, and so many times where your heart breaks is that, not, not always, but many times they're coming out of situations that were broken or abusive or difficult and they and that's all they know and so that's all that they expect it, it, it literally doesn't even occur to them that there could be something else outside of brokenness or outside of abuse 
but we know that there is, and we want that for them. Now hear me. All of us, I think, you know, our hearts break for, you know, people that are impoverished and in bondage to sin and all those things, and, and, and it should. But, but guys, the Spirit, though, longs for the kingdom of God to come and to be done in our lives. And I think that I'm not even, yes, I'm talking about like, yeah, it, it, abusive situations and broken situations and uh, you know, situations where there's addiction and bondage and, and all that type of stuff. But guys, I think the Spirit's heart breaks for us, especially, and I'll say this because I grew up here my whole life, in East Holmes County, I think the Spirit's heart breaks for us because of our love of money. I think the Spirit is going... You know, in all of our prosperity and all of you know, our, our bigger homes and our shinier cars and, you know, and, 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 just, and we just chase it. I mean, we will absolutely, we just, boom. We work 12 hours a day and then we go home and we work our second job and then we work our third job because, man, we got to get ahead and we got to have that bank account. We got to have that retirement. We, we got to have all this and all that and we got to compete with the Joneses down the road. And, man, that's, that's, I know I'm painting with a broad brush, but you guys know it's real. You know it's real here. And the Spirit goes, there's so much more. Spirit says, there's something so much better for you than just a bigger number in a bank account. Spirit says, I have something so much better for you than a bigger, shinier car or a bigger, nicer house. I have life eternal. And I think that just like our hearts break for those kids that know nothing of what it means to not live in total dysfunction all the time. What Paul's saying here is that the Spirit, the Spirit longs for us to experience the life of God and in His kingdom. And not all the stuff that we think is really life, because it's not. It's not. Worship team, you can come up. We're going to close. Um, You know, this idea of groaning uh, again and just that, that God is intimately acquainted with us in our situation. Most commentators think that Paul is probably referencing this passage in the book of Exodus chapter 2. You guys know the story that God's people, the nation of Israel at that time were in bondage for 400-some years in the land of Egypt. Um, and they were mistreated, and they were not living uh, as God intended. And in the story of Exodus, um, at the very end of chapter 2, there's this little passage, I just want to read it, verses 23 through 25. It says that during those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery. And they cried out for help. And their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And then I love this, verse 25 of Exodus chapter 2. This is so beautiful. 
And God saw them, and God knew. God saw them, and he knew. And again, this knowledge here is just not, check. It's not just facts. When it says that he saw and he knew, that he was intimately acquainted with all the difficulty, with all the pain, and he had a plan. He had a plan for that. And guys, I just want to tell you this morning that I don't care if you're hurting this morning because of outside trials or tribulations like cancer or like anything that's just come at you out of nowhere. And listen, I don't even care if you're in bondage this morning because of your sin, because you messed up, because you chose, because you made bad choices, because you chose to not walk in the will of God. Even if it's that, I want to tell you that God loves you and that his purposes will stand. And that in your life this morning, if you don't know what to do, you don't know how to pray as you ought, you don't know how to choose as you ought, because you're weak and you're overwhelmed by all this, I want to remind you that God knows. Even if you're the one that's dug the hole and has found yourself now at the bottom of the pit, God knows how to get you out, and he wants to. He sees you, and he knows you, and he cares. He does. And the invitation I want to give this morning is, you know, we turn to communion. Is I really just want to give a specific invitation this morning for those that are in a season of life where it falls into the category of exactly what I've been talking about this morning. You're like, hey, it, it, it could be this, it could be, it could be this. I, 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 yeah, I want delivered, yeah, I want healed, but Lord, you know, build my character. Lord, change me, you know, and give me endurance. If you need real wisdom, real on-the-ground wisdom for decisions that need to be made uh, and for, you know, which direction you need to go, I just want to pray for you this morning, okay, as we come. As we come to the Lord's table this morning, uh, I too just want to remind you guys that all this that we've talked about, the reality of the Holy Spirit in our lives is, is described here in Romans chapter 8. Guys, it's all because of what Jesus did. You don't have to earn it. The Holy Spirit, the reality of the Holy Spirit is not just for those that are really good Christians, those that pray for five hours a day, those that fast every other day. I mean, it's, it's not just for them. I mean, do that stuff. Pray, fast, I'm all for it. The Holy Spirit is for everybody, and it's for everybody that has believed in Jesus because of what Jesus did. And it is his will, unequivocally, equivocally, it is his will for your life that you hear his voice and that you follow him. As we looked at last week, all those who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. He wants that for you. And I ask you this morning, do you want that? Do you want that? Do you want what God wants for you? Because the Spirit is, He's hyper interceding for you this morning. And if you will just say yes, if you will just cry out for help, guys, He will meet you. Amen? Let's stand. If you're helping serve communion, you can come. And again, once we're done here, I'm going to be at the back.